0: And now, today's podcast episode. Part of,
1: the, part of the fun for me as a human being, what I, part of what I love about the human experience is human behavior, both my own as well as the human behavior of those around me. And it is fascinating when you really understand, and again, I'm not college educated, um, but I've, I've read a ton of behavioral books. I took psychology in college. Um, I don't have a degree in psychology. That wasn't the field I went into. But having deconstructed my own system, having studied stages of faith, having studied stages of development, having read books like Sapiens, uh, Mating in Captivity, Sex at Dawn, uh, Behave uh, by Robert Sapolsky, um, and lots of other books, The the Four Agreements, The Fifth Agreement, uh, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. Having read a ton... Of books that delve into adult development, uh, and in college, by the way, I took some child psychology as well. But my focus has always been adult development as an adult, and watching why we humans do what we do. And as I as I sit and observe, whether I'm at a party, whether I'm uh, watching stand up comedy, whether I'm sitting with uh, my wife at my at my home and just watching TV, and we're just talking about the things of life how each of us come to behave, react, and respond, and what what pieces of that were we born with and what pieces of that were handed to us through positive teaching or through trauma. And I find it all so interesting. And so I wanted to share just a few thoughts today. This shouldn't be too long of an episode. I wanted to talk about four different points. And the first one I wanted to say was protecting others' narratives. And here's what I mean. Every one of us has a story in our head about who we are and what our life is. That's our identity. It's how we understand ourselves. And again, I'll go back to this and say, it's a myth. You're not You're not your thoughts because those thoughts come into your head whether you're trying to control it or not. You're not your body. And, and there's a lot of Buddhism that goes into thinking about things this way, but you really are only the observer. You're the person who's aware that you're aware, and that's it. You you are the observer, and you get to observe the world and either be aware that you're observing it or just walk through it with your eyes closed uh, symbolically. So you have a story in your head about your identity, but it's a myth, and and it's a myth, but it's at the ground level, right? And your, uh, your loved ones, your friends, your family, your coworkers, your boss... Your teachers, your kids, your you know the ki- the guy you bump into walking down the street—they're they're not at the ground level inside your head. They're another layer away. And you, as the listener, ought to understand that anyone else outside of you—you you are a layer away. And so, when people have life happen to them, they are certainly going to form opinions and story and narrative around those events that occur to them. So when when something happens in my life, when my mom passed last year from cancer, I, I developed in my head as it was happening a story around what was happening. And other family members would come into the room and sit and the things they would say would indicate they had a much different story in their head about what was happening. And when we begin to awaken and as we move out of ethnocentricity, and we um, individuate, we begin to recognize, as we've talked a little bit last time about authenticity, we begin to recognize that we don't necessarily need to jump in with the tribal story, that we can process the events in our life individually and have an individual story. And we begin to recognize like, oh, I don't want other people telling my story. I think it's an an important point that we protect other people's narratives. I, I think that when we understand that everybody's story for themselves is at the ground level and the rest of us are all a layer away from anyone else and their story that we respect the ability of another human being to have control of their story. So when the, when somebody tells that uh, their sister is gay or when somebody says, Hey, my my brother just got divorced. Whenever we tell someone else's story, It often breaks down into some sort of level of gossip. And we humans, again, we invented gossip. When we tell someone else's story without them being present and without giving them the safe space to tell their own story, we truly are doing them a disservice. We are hijacking their narrative. And rather than being the kind of person who hijacks the narrative of another and tells their story for them before they wanted to tell it or tells their story for them... In inaccurate ways or tells their story for them without permission, we are causing additional trauma to those folks. And so, the first thing I wanted to say today is that we ought to be protectors of other people's narratives. We can talk about institutions, we can talk about systems, we can talk about hurt and emotion, but when we, out of just wanting to be interesting or out of wanting to be the first to say it, when we tell someone else's story, for those kinds of reasons, we are consciously or unconsciously, intentionally causing trauma. And and so on the almost awakened side of things, my, my two cents is that we work really hard in protecting the narratives of others. The second thing I want to say is getting lost in story. Um, we have so much mind chatter. There's so much mind chatter inside our heads. And meditation and kind of sitting still in various ways, whether you're reflecting on your own behavior, whether you're sitting in a conversation with someone else and listening to what they have to say, both in substance uh, and also the what what lies kind of one layer away from that, which is people's motives and needs and emotions. When we sit still, we tend to be able to quiet some of that mind chatter and and meditation seems to be one of the greatest tools for this but for people who'd meditate as a deep practice uh, if you have this conversation you'll you'll recognize just by asking them that their mind chatter from a decade ago to today and there'll be a significant difference almost assuredly with anyone who has a deep meditation practice, and, and when you don't have a still mind, your mind is always going. You're always getting lost in story. You're always worrying about the past and worrying about the future. And when you're stuck in a time other than this moment, then you're treating this moment as if it's already the past. And hence, you're never really living life to its fullest because you're always in your head in this moment, letting it pass by while you worry about the past and what all those things that happened, what they mean. And then you start to worry about the future and what what if this and what if that? And so we humans can often get lost in story. And over the last uh, decade, maybe even two, I've just had this opportunity that's it's come somewhat naturally to just quiet all that down and not to get lost in the, this running narrative always going through my head. And so I'm often thinking about a task at hand, but not really going through tons of other crazy thoughts that I used to years and years ago. And it does. If you just sit and listen to your brain, the thoughts are incredible. Look at my coffee cup. Oh, there's my name tag. Oh my gosh, it says my name. It's got it spelled in capital letters. Oh, there's a pen next to that. Oh, the pen is almost out of ink. I need to get new pens. Oh, that reminds me. I've got to get milk later today. I've got to get two gallons of milk. Oh, I could get three, but last time I got three, one of them spoiled. Oh, I remember that one time when I had bad food and I got food poisoning. Like our brain does that all day long. And I still fall into it when I'm having anxiety, when something very traumatic is going on around me and I need to solve really serious problems uh, that affect the health or well-being of people around me that I love. And outside of those traumatic moments, I've, I've actually gotten to a really good place of keeping that mind chatter at a minimum and, and at times almost being completely non-existent. And, and so I'm simply saying that when we get lost in story, what we also do, because we're so stuck in what happened before and what's going to happen in the future, when you worry about all the potential possibilities in the future, you are filling up your mind with worries where the majority of them almost certainly never will come to pass. And even if they do, having your mind clear and still allows you generally to respond healthier and wiser... Do those things that stand in front of you. The other thing you do when you get lost in story is you can often do what we talked about first, which is you can hijack someone else's narrative. If you're worried about the past and the future and someone comes to you with some sort of hurt, rather than sit with that, take it in, think about it, and then respond in a healthy way, your fears about what was and what will be often hijacks your ability to respond and instead you emotionally react out of that lizard part of your brain. And when we're reacting and not responding, react is you drop the plate and you scream. Respond is someone brings something to you and you take it in, you listen and you sit with it. And you decide how you want, you decide intentionally how you want to show up in the world in this moment. And it is quite interesting, exciting, fun when you begin to notice yourself responding to the ups and downs of life all around you. And, and when you respond, you, you give the person a chance for their story to be heard, you give a chance for that person to feel accurately represented, and you give a chance for the healthiest outcome, because you're sitting with what they've said, and you're intentionally trying to figure out how you want to show up. The, uh, the last uh, one of the three points I wanted to make, and then I just want to talk for a moment about sunken cost versus investment. I want to talk for a second about why we move in arguments to tangents. And so as I'm having a conversation with my children or with my wife, we have a tendency sometimes in a argument to try to keep one upping each other. And when the other person makes a good point, when the other person brings to our attention something that's our responsibility that we need to be accountable for in this breakdown in the relationship, we often just get defensive and try to bring up another thing. Oh yeah, well, remember when you did this? I'm really hurt about uh, how you didn't make dinner last night. Oh yeah, remember the five times last month you didn't make dinner, and I wanted. Like we tend to do that, and and it's a defense mechanism. It's it's our way of protecting ourselves, and it's ego based. But if we let our ego go, and and it's by the way, talking about it sounds easy. Letting your ego go in the moment is especially in the very front end of thinking about doing this, is impossible. It is impossible. And it's not going to be until after you blow up and everything kind of falls apart that you go like, oh, I could have handled that differently. What would have happened if I would have just listened to her? What would have happened if I just would have sat with what they said? But we don't know how to do that. Our egos have been trained since early childhood to protect us, And we do all that we can to deflect accountability when there's a problem onto somebody else and to at least have someone share it with us in the mistake or in the thing that went wrong. And so in a argument with somebody, when somebody first comes and says, you hurt me, now they may say it kindly, they may say it with uh, a loud voice, they may say it crying, they may say it with a uh, stoic look. And all of that will play into how well you can respond versus react. But regardless, when someone comes to you and they say, hey, you hurt me. And, and essentially, anytime you're receiving feedback from somebody you love that, that it, you've done something wrong, it's because they've been hurt. It's not that they, as a unbiased, objective observer, are just trying to help you grow, but they were poked. And when someone comes to us and they're poked, again, what, what is the way in which we come back to them? And so often we come back with, oh, yeah, well, you did this. And, and the reason we do that is because there's truth in what they're saying. Somewhere deep inside us is the recognition for just a moment, just a, a 32nd of a second, we're inside of us going, yep, I fucked up. But you know what? Other people fuck up too. You know what? They fucked up. It's not just my fault. You know what? Maybe it's not any of my fault. Maybe, maybe it's their fault. And yet we would get to such a better place... If we could just sit with people's hurt, and by the way, my wife and I are nowhere near great at this. We get it right, sometimes we get it wrong probably a lot more than we get it right. But we're getting it right a lot more today than we were five years ago. We were just getting it right this morning. In the past, when one of us shared their hurt, they only wanted space for their hurt to be heard. And if the other person shared anything that was hurting them, then it felt like it was turning into a fight. Like, oh yeah, well you're hurt, well I'm hurt worse. And, and what really needs to happen is that both people need to sit with and listen to and understand and empathize with and own the part they play in the hurt of their partner or their friend or their mom or their child. And I'll give, I'll give a tip. And the problem with the tip is it needs to be the initiator of the conversation who does it. But if the initiator of the conversation will go to the person that they're about to express some criticism... That is also associated with some personal hurt. And you have to recognize, like, you have to be honest about whether the thing you're about to criticize poked you. Is to go to your partner and say, you know, hey, Jim, I'd, I'd like to talk about something a little more difficult. I'd like to have a hard conversation. I'm wondering if now is a good time. And if if now is a good time, if I need to give you just a moment to kind of prepare yourself for that. And the first time you do this, you're going to scare the hell out of your partner. They're going to think you're leaving. They're going to think you're done, that you've thrown in the towel. But by the third or fourth time you do this, and it'll work, by the way, even on the first time, but by the third or fourth time, you both will understand what's going on, and you'll both understand the usefulness of this. When you say it that way, when you say, hey, I'd like to have a hard conversation are, is now a good time. You leave that person the chance to go, it's not. I've got six other things on my mind right now and two of them have to do with my my sick dad or my cousin just got pregnant and I'm worrying about, you know, I have a deep relationship with them, I'm worried about them. Can you give me just a little bit here? Because you might catch somebody in the midst of just learning something or dealing with something or having an underlying issue from a bad day at work that they're just not in the right mindset. So you've given them space to consent to the conversation or not. And you've given them space to say like, I'd love to do this because every grown adult eventually has to enter the hard conversation. You can't avoid it. But you can step away for a minute if it's not the right time. So you give that person the chance to consent and to say like, hey, right now is not good. But what you also do is most of the time when you do that, that's going to be the time you have the conversation. But what you've done is you've prompted your partner or the person you're about to engage with that you care about but who has hurt you and and for which you need to express the hurt. You've prompted them to prepare for the conversation and to get out of their lizard brain. That way, when you say the first set of things you state, that person can come in at least healthier than they would have if you just would have caught them off guard with this hard conversation. So when you get in a hard conversation, ask for permission. Let them know it's about to happen. If they're ready, ask permission if, if now's a good time and ask them if there's any moment they need to kind of prep themselves for the hard conversation. And if you do that, you're going to start to notice immediately a different kind of conversation taking place. And if you're in the almost awakened space, you can even start to, as my wife and I do, we have the conversation about the conversation. We talk about these mechanisms away from the time that the criticism is being shared. In other words, her and I go, hey, the next time we bring a hard conversation, it might be helpful if we tackle it this way or that way. And again, we're not perfect at it, but these healthy mechanisms begin showing up more and more often. And so, ask for consent and give a prompt for that person to enter the conversation when it feels healthy for them and when they feel safe to respond. Now, those are the three things. The last one I want to talk about here is sunken cost versus investment. I was thinking about this yesterday. I manage a pawn shop. I work out in in uh, Family Pawn in Hurricane, Utah. I manage a, a pawn shop, and it's it's the funnest job in the world. Um, we did an episode. Uh, with Mikkel uh, months ago, a couple months ago, anyway, where I talked about the pawn business. And in the pawn business, we do loans. It's the whole idea of a pawn shop is you you buy things to sell them. You do loans on things, hoping the customer gets them back. And if the customer doesn't come back, then you take those things and you put them out for sale, and you make money that way. And uh, there are different types of situations that people come in for loans, and and I'm going to share kind of one of these because this is one of the ideas in psychology is this idea of sunken cost. And sunken cost is that you have put so much into something that that you don't really know, or maybe even know that you won't get a reward from, you won't get benefited from, or the risk of not getting a benefit is significant. That's probably a better way to say it, right? That the risk of keep putting this cost in is a, it's a high risk in that you're most likely going to lose here. It would be like at the beginning of the NFL season, uh, betting on the worst team in the league from the year before to win the Super Bowl. And you bet 50 bucks on week one, and week one, that team loses. So now you throw another 50 bucks on. Because now, the, if they do win um, the Super Bowl, you're going to make even more money because the bookies have even lowered the odds after week one. The odds creators are lowering the odds for that team after, after a week one loss. So now you throw another 50 bucks in and then they, they lose week two. So you throw $100 in and you keep throwing money in until they're eliminated and maybe even past when they're eliminated from the potential of reaching the playoffs because you've already thrown so much at it that you feel like you just have to keep going. And in the pawn business, people come in for loans. So a lady will bring her wedding ring and she'll say, I need to get $100 My gas is getting turned off later today and I just, I need, I need a hundred bucks to pay my gas bill. So we loan her a hundred bucks on the ring and she can come pick it up anytime. And in the first 30 days, there's a set finance charge on top of that hundred bucks. And after, and the loan's good for two months. So she doesn't have to come in in the first month. She can come in in after 60 days. And, but now she pays uh, twice the amount of finance charge because she now went another 30 days. And what sometimes happens in this business is somebody brings me their Xbox 1 and they borrow $100 on it. And they come in in 2 months and they make the minimum payment, which is just the finance charge. It's not much, but it's it doesn't pay on the principal at all. It's like I give you $100 and you owe me 5 bucks a month, but so long as you only pay the 5 bucks a month, you're always going to owe me $100. And so what we have happened in this business is that a customer will come in month after month, after month or 2 months, after 2 months after two months, after two months, and just pay the minimum because they don't have enough to get out from under it, but they don't want to lose this thing. And what happens, and it doesn't happen often, but what happens once in a while is you'll get a customer who for three years has come in every two months and paid on their Xbox One, never paying on the principal. And so here we are three years later, and this person has paid hundreds and hundreds of dollars in finance charges. And they still owe me the hundred bucks for their Xbox One. Meanwhile, Xbox Ones depreciate in value. Xbox. This Xbox One is just sitting here. Nobody's using it. They're, they don't have the ability to get it out yet. They're gonna lose it, or they're just gonna keep paying the five bucks or the ten bucks a month, or the twenty bucks every two months, whatever it is. They're gonna keep paying it. They don't have the ability to realize I've sunk in cost in this, but I don't have to stay with it. Cost is something you put out into the world. You spend, uh, whether it's financial or your energy cost or your emotional cost, you put a cost out there. There's some cost for something and you spend it. But there's there's no guarantee you're getting something back. And if you can't get your Xbox One back, it would have been so smart to just decide in the first month to have abandoned it and let it go. Let the pawn shop have it. If you understand then that I'm never going to really be able to pay this $100 back. But even if you've gone three years and paid on it, even now you can still make the decision in spite of the fact that you have for three years made this minimum payment. You can here after three years choose right now, three years later to abandon it right now. And that way three years from now, you're not still paying on it. And so there are customers who cannot let their item go. And some of these items don't appear to be sentimental in any way for instance, a video game system. And they could have bought that video game system twice over, or at least bought a brand new one once. And yet they keep coming in every 60 days and throwing the amount on. The difference in sun- from sunken cost, the opposite of sunken cost, is investment. In relationships, we also put in investment, and that investment comes with a, a much higher likelihood of getting something in return. My wife and I, my wife and I have been together for 22 years, coming up on 23. I think I said the other day, 24, coming up to, on 23 years here next month, uh, almost a month from, uh, from now. And for these 23 years, we have hurt each other a ton. We've caused trauma to each other. We have caused pain and hurt. We have practiced our unhealthy mechanisms on each other. And, but we've also done lots of good for each other. We've grown with each other. We've supported each other. We've been there for each other. We've protected each other. We've loved each other. We've we've been hurt by each other and then forgiven each other. And so in relationships, sometimes there's sunken cost in some relationships. And maybe there's sunken cost in every relationship and there's investment in every relationship. But if your relationship tends to involve more sunken cost than investment, you ought to feel safe discussing within yourself whether whether you still need to keep staying. If it's not benefiting you, if you're in an abusive relationship, if you're in a relationship where your partner doesn't care or seem to care about you, there are relationships that um, grow. All relationships have unhealthiness. Relationships are either growing or they're remaining stagnant or they develop additional traits of abuse. And if you're in a relationship where where you feel like it's a sunken cost, but you but you've thrown so much into it, you just can't walk away. I've I've spent too much energy here. I have to keep trying, but you don't. And on the other hand, if you're in a relationship where you're making investments and those investments have rewards, then maybe it's worth working the hard shit out. Maybe it's worth staying. Maybe it's worth getting uncomfortable and compromising. Maybe it's time to start getting real with each other. But But whether you stay or you go in a relationship, and it's not just marriage, it's friendships, it's other things, you get to decide and the other person gets to decide. But hopefully in today's episode, you've gotten some advice, something useful to you. Remember to protect other people's narratives. Try not to get lost in story. It often makes situations worse than they really are. And it prevents you from responding in wise ways when you're too worried about the past and the future. Try not to move arguments to tangents. And when you try to initiate hard conversations, try to give the other person a prompt to enter the conversation in a healthy, safe space. And lastly, in every relationship we are spending... And attempting to make investments, but sometimes those investments end up being a sunken cost. And that each of us has the right to constantly reevaluate our relationships, to seek out what we need and want. But in the end, the relationship needs to be of value to you. I'm lucky. I've got a partner that we deal with hard shit. We talk about hard stuff. And I'm and I'm lucky in that other than a briefest of second here or briefest of second there, she has shown up in our relationship in such a way, and she has loved me in such a way that it's always felt like an investment. And we all deserve to be in a relationship where what we're doing together feels like we're building, that what we're doing here together feels like we're growing, and that what we're spending here feels like investment. See everyone next time. Please consider helping us keep this podcast alive by donating. You can do that by going to the website, almostawakened.org. There at the top of the page, you'll see the donate button. Click that and send a few dollars our way. This takes lots of time and prep to do this podcast, but we're
0: excited to do it. Help us keep it going. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit spirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director, Brittany Hartley.